is in order that we can be a blessing to others. Again, going back to Genesis, remember Genesis 12, um, God has a covenant with Abraham and basically he says, you know, you're going to be blessed, generations are going to be blessed, your you know, descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the, on the shore and the stars in the sky. But the crucial thing is that the people of God, the people of Israel, were blessed for what? To be a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing. And that hasn't changed. You know, any blessings that God gives to us, any blessings that we receive, are actually in order for us to bless others. And it's a real mind, mind shift. So this context, the passage, uh, John 13, just the context is, is that um, John 11, uh, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are planning to kill him, plotting to kill him. He knows he's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, we've had the triumphal entry, uh, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows. He knows that he's facing the end. He knows that when he returns to, to, um, to Jerusalem, that actually the plot to kill him will come to fruition. He knows that. He knows that. But we've had this amazing, in last chapter, chapter 12, Dev spoke about this last week, this amazing incident of um, Mary of Bethany anointing the feet of Jesus with a year's worth of wages. And Devs was challenging us that, you know, again, most of us think immediately, what a waste. What a waste. But actually, we're still talking about Mary today. Why? Because she demonstrated her love for Jesus by this lavish, extravagant, yes, wasteful act of love. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus was inspired by that. It's often the women that lead the way in the scriptures. We need to see that. It's really clear. And um, actually, maybe Jesus was inspired by that in what he then did by washing his disciples' feet. And what we have in this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is an enacted parable. It's Jesus in a very literal, physical, tangible way saying to the disciples, this is what servant love is all about. So what's this got to do with dethroning mammon? Well, let's, let's think about this a bit more. So we read in verse 3, Andy read to us, um, if I can just find it on here, he read to us, Jesus knew that his father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and returning to God. Jesus knew the father put all things. That's not some things, a few things, that's all things. You know, through Jesus, we read in Colossians, um, the whole universe was created. And yet, we'll read in, a, in, in Philippians, it talks about how Jesus emptied himself, emptied himself of his power. And the reason we're using, thinking about this passage in the context of mammon is because wealth and power are very closely related. Usually it's the wealthy that have the power. And one of the most difficult things about being poor is that you are done to by other people. Other people have power over you. And it's really challenging to think in our current context with there being conflicts and there being people in need all over the world, how much we slip into that mindset of, oh, I'm going to do good to that person out of the generosity of my heart. I'm going to bless that person because they're, they're a bit helpless and powerless. And that narrative of, 
of Africa being a sort of helpless place where people are just victims of, of, of whatever is not, all, not a very helpful picture at times. Um, but actually poverty and the abuse of power keeps people in their place. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is doing here, as he usually does, he's, he's completely subverting the norms, completely and utterly subverting the norms. You know, Mary of Bethany subverted the norms of, of a woman entering the company of these men, letting her hair down, you know, wasting the expensive perfume on Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He completely subverts the norms again. You know, the, the disciples, you know, they'd already begun to get a bit of a clue that Jesus was the Messiah. They were beginning to twig that. It would taken them a few years. They were a bit stupid, um, just like me, a bit like you probably. Um, took them a while to twig. They also had seen Jesus ride into um, Jerusalem on a donkey, and so they, they, knew, they knew their scriptures. They knew that that was in fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah, um, and they knew that you know, Jesus was a different sort of king, but I don't think they'd still quite got it. I think they were thinking to themselves, great, you know, Jesus is the king, Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to come into Jerusalem and he's going he's to smite the Romans, he's going to take power and we're going to have a share in it. Excellent. We're going to have places of influence, we're going to have places of power. And so Jesus, this enacted parable, is basically to say, guys, no. The sort of leadership, the sort of influence, the sort of servanthood that I want you to demonstrate is completely different to what you're thinking. The other thing to remember about this passage is it's in the context of the Passover. And the Passover was the greatest of the Jewish festivals. This was the time when they remembered, uh, the Israelites remembered being set free from slavery in Egypt. And of course, for us, we know that we are set free from the power of sin. We are set free from the oppression of needing to aspire to be a certain thing or to earn a certain amount of money or to be a success in a certain way. We're set free from all of that. And yet often, it's like we've been set free, but we think to ourselves, yeah, but I I quite like being a little bit oppressed by my need for wealth and my need for this and my need for that. And we don't actually completely walk in the freedom that God has given to us. And the thing is, God doesn't force us to. God it's our choice how much how much we allow God to take control of it, control so think about this incident of of the disciples having their feet washed you know it, it's so shocking yeah wonderful picture there by a guy called Sir Serga Koda amazing artist if you don't listen to anything I say just look at that it's cool um, the thing is do we allow Jesus to wash our feet? It's such a radical thing that Jesus did. You know, he took the role of the most lowly, humble slave in that society. It was the worst job. I mean, I don't need to elaborate, you know, the sort of stuff that people would walk through in their sandals. You know, the car, they didn't have cars that spilt sort of fumes. They had donkeys that spilt other stuff um, that they would walk through. And so washing feet was pretty grim. And the thing is, the funny thing about feet is they're sort of a very personal and private part of our bodies, aren't they? And so letting other people wash our feet is quite a, quite a 
a humbling thing to do. So yeah, so Jesus gets down on his knees. He puts the towel around his waist. And he kneels on the floor with a bowl of water and he washes those smelly, calloused, dirty feet. And he wants to do that for us. And what that means is we need to allow God to see the ugly parts of our lives. I'm sure you've got beautiful feet, but mine are not very beautiful. We, we need to allow God to see those ugly parts of our lives, those bits that we're maybe a bit ashamed of or those bits that we cover up. That's what God wants to do for us. Don't you love Peter? Peter's the one who always says the stuff everyone else is thinking of. And I, I, I've, I can sometimes be, be that person who says the things everyone else is thinking. I've got a bit better over the years. Um, but um, every now and again, it comes out. Um, and Peter's that man. No, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. No, wash all of me. Come on, you know, all of, you know. And, um, but yet Jesus says, no, you need to let me do this. You need to let me wash your feet. Are we prepared to allow Jesus to wash our feet? Are we prepared to be that vulnerable before him? That he touches those parts of us that we feel ashamed about or that we keep hidden? That's what Jesus wants to do. If we could have the next slide, Jeremy, that would be great. So, just again, to think about how Jesus values, the kingdom values, the family of God values, sort of subvert uh, the worldly values. Just, just read that for a moment. So on the left is what our culture generally says to us, maybe what your family said to you as you grew up. And then on the right is, a, is what the Bible actually teaches about our attitudes to wealth and to money. Many of us, you know, have these scripts in our head, you know, that actually having money is the best form of security. The more money we have, the more important we are. I've said this to you before. I really wrestled with that when I first felt God calling me to be ordained because I sort of knew that, that you know, a high salary was never going to be, you know, something I was going to have. And I really, really struggled with that because it was, you know, that's often in society what is seen as, as what is status. You know, making lots of money proves you've made it. And I've had to relinquish that for myself. So God calls us instead to manage the money that we've been given to. You know, it's been entrusted to us. It's held in trust, if you like. We're stewards of it. And the brilliant thing is, actually, not rather than feeling burdened by that, you know, God has blessed us all in different degrees. Some are rich, some are poor. It's all varied degrees. That's fine. But actually, whatever God has given us, if we change our mindset to think, how can I use this to bless other people rather than just my sort of close family or myself it's a liberating thing and it's joy giving because actually just a small amount of money can actually make a massive difference you know sponsoring a child for what 30 quid a month 20 quid a month whatever it is you know most people have phone contracts that cost more than that most people spend more on coffee than that a month and yet you can do these wonderful things with reasonably small amounts of money 
but we need to be creative, we need to be imaginative, we need to be intentional about it, because it doesn't happen just by accident. If we have the next one, Jeremy, next slide, that'd be great. So I'm just going to quickly just say three things about how in the family of Jesus, because this is, we're talking about the contrast here between our sort of family of origin, our culture, and the family of Jesus. You know, the values are different, and often they're in contrast. Hopefully at times they're aligned, but often they're contrasting. And so it's the same for any of us who are in positions of influence or leadership or have power. Jesus gives us a, a literal parable, a model of how we should use power, because Jesus was very aware of his power. As we read earlier, he's very aware that he was given all authority. And that in Philippians we read, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, as leaders, we're not called to lord it over those we lead or to be authoritarian, but to serve with humility. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a leader, well, actually, all of us have influence, whether we're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a godparent or a friend, actually, at times, or a neighbor. You know, we have influence. How do we steward that influence? How do we serve others with humility? Jesus was emptied in obedience to the Father. Were we prepared to be emptied in obedience to the Father? And the amazing paradox is that when we empty ourselves, God fills us. But you can't fill something that's full. And if we're full of ourselves and full of our own needs and desires, then there's not a lot of room for God to to fill us with his spirit. And then we uh, create communities of service. You know, Jesus was saying to these disciples, I want you to create a community of love. And we read in Scripture that the, in the New Testament, people said, see the love they have for one another. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's what everyone around here said about St. Stephen's? Those guys, they really love each other. It's amazing. Have you heard what happened when that person was in need? How they all rallied round? And actually, that does go on in this community. It does people see it how do we serve each other how do we love each other how do we create a community of service that isn't but the the key thing is it isn't just for us it's not just so that we have a nice holy huddle and we're a nice cozy club that cares for one another but how does that expand out into the community how does that expand to uh, rainbow mums to those we meet with prime time to those that we serve in all sorts of other ways the wave and all sorts of other things how do we you know, for me, we're a community centered around Jesus. That's our key value. But we want everybody to be part of that. We don't want to have like walls, you know, you're in or you're out. We want everybody to feel that they're wanting to draw towards Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And then finally, we're called to serve with love. What I receive, I use to serve. What I receive, I use to bless. What I receive, I use to love. As I say, it's a wonderful, when when we have those moments where we have that attitude, and for me it is moments, I have to confess, it is wonderfully liberating. 
that actually we're free of the burden of, of needing to acquire more, needing to prove ourselves, needing to see our identity in our job description or our, our material worth, but actually in the way that we extend love to others. That, you know, when we get a pay rise, we think, fantastic, I can bless more people. Rather than, hey, look at me. Um, Some of you will know uh, an author called Henri Nguyen, who's one of my favorite authors, or Nguyen. Um, and he was you know, a Harvard, Yale professor, you know, really clever bloke, lots of degrees and PhDs and all the rest of it. And some of you will know this story, but he gave all of that up to go and serve in what's called the L'Arche community, which was working with people with severe um, disabilities and special needs of all different sorts. And in that community, they literally did not care if he had a PhD. All they wanted to know is, are you going to be my friend? Are you going to love me? Are you going to be with me, even when it's messy and difficult? Downwardly mobile. We have a downwardly mobile God. He calls us to serve him. So I just want you to be thinking about you know, your positions of influence. What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow? Some of you will be chairing meetings. Some of you will be having difficult decisions to make in your workplace. Some of you will have different, different difficult decisions in your families, amongst your friends, amongst your neighbors. How can we steward our influence, our power, our resources to be a blessing? Sometimes that's naming truth. Sometimes that's tough. Sometimes it's being the peacemaker in conflict. But it's about getting on our knees and washing the feet of those around us. Sometimes it's about washing the feet of those who no one else wants to spend time with. You don't get anything out of it. You know, just to be, you know, give you an example, not to be rude, but sometimes I go over to some Shottermore House or one of the care homes and I talk to somebody and have a conversation and a minute later I have the same conversation. And then two minutes later I have the same conversation again. Is that a waste of my time? In the world's eyes, yes. It's not productive, is it? What a waste. What a waste. But we need to get out of that mindset. We need to twist our minds around, turn our minds around. Repentance is a turn of turning our heads around. We need to be like Jesus. Servant people. Creating communities of love and service. Let me finish with a quote. It is those who have been humbled at the cross and come to Christ as helpless sinners seeking his cleansing who are the raw material of the community of servants. We are called to be his hands and his feet. We're called to steward all that we have to, to bless others. Let's just take a moment to reflect on that. Not to feel condemned, but to feel released and liberated to love and serve others with joy. Come, Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit that we might have joy in serving and loving others. Give us courage, Lord, where we need it. Give us courage to allow you to wash our feet, to show you all parts of ourselves, knowing that you can redeem 
and cleanse and heal. And Lord, may this be a community of love and service that is a blessing to this community, a blessing to the communities, the workplaces, the families, the clubs, societies that we are impacting literally across the world. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of serving you. Amen.